right, great job, Alexander. Appreciate that. Uh, we come time for the reading of God's Word. We're going to be looking in Psalms chapter 122 and verse number 1. Psalms 122 and verse 1. There'll be a Bible there in the chair back in front of you, and the verse will appear on the screen as well. We're looking at Psalm 122, verse 1. If you'll stand at this time, those who are able for the reading of God's Word. The Bible says, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for uh, the uh, sermon we heard this morning uh, by our pastor. I thank you for using him. I pray you just prepare our hearts now uh, tonight. Help us to uh, apply what's preached to our lives. Thank you for loving us. In your name I pray. Amen. All right. Thank you. I want to jump right in tonight because I do want to, right at the very end, we'll have a, uh, uh, Lord willing, we'll have a short business meeting, but I do want to uh, talk about that as well. Psalm 122, David, of course, was known as a man after God's own heart, and uh, I think there's a lot of reasons for that. I don't think we could ever really comprehend why it was that God said that, but God singularly said that about David, and... uh, uh, God obviously goes without saying he knows what he's talking about when he chooses a description or a name or some way of identifying an individual in Scripture, and he chose David that way. Um, a lot of that gives us great hope because if you look at a small window in David's life, you'd consider him a scoundrel, really. If you, I mean, think about this. He commits adultery, covers it up with getting a man drunk, and then he has that man murdered. That window right there, in fact, uh, let's just be honest, every one of us would write that guy off. In fact, if he showed up at church, he'd probably be denied membership. You'd never let him speak. You wouldn't let a guy like that teach a Sunday school class. Come on, don't leave me hanging here. But yet God, looking at the totality of David's life, and I think it was Spurgeon who said that the reason he felt Um, Charles Spurgeon was known as a prince of preachers, and he said the reason he felt that God said that about David was that he was a man after his own heart was because he was probably the best repenter in the Bible. Um, You see David in his life, how dramatically different his, his approach to sin becomes. When he's caught by Nathan the prophet, he, um, First of all, he's told the story uh, about a man with a, with a sheep, and so he says, well, he said, uh, find that guy, and, you know, that guy will restore, and so forth, and Nathan says to him, thou art the man. And then, of course, the judgment comes from the Lord. Um, David doesn't seem genuinely broken at that point. Then you get towards the end of David's life, and David's sin, which seems innocuous compared to adultery and murder and drunkenness. He numbers the people. It's one of the last episodes of his encounter, and he says this. He said, I have sinned exceedingly. See, his attitude, his approach to sin changed greatly over his life. The more mature you get as a Christian, the more your sin will bother you. I was talking with someone yesterday, and I was having a discipleship meeting with them and going over some things, a new convert, just been saved a short while. And I told them, I said, you're still going to be a sinner, but you shouldn't be very good at it. You know, 
Uh, Spurgeon also said the reason Peter was found out when he, when he denied the Lord three times is because he wasn't very good at cussing. And you and I, as God's people, we shouldn't be very good at sinning. It doesn't mean, it doesn't mean we forgot how, because we're all sinners, each and every one of us. But we shouldn't be very good at it. It ought to be something that we are out of practice. And that should be the case with each and every one of us as a child of God. But here's David nonetheless, and I'm, I'm digressing there a little bit. But we see that his affection here was definitely geared or bent toward those things that were spiritual. And so we're going to jump right in and uh, let's pray and we'll move quickly through this, get caught up and move into new territory tonight. Lord, bless, please help us. <laughs> Lord, we ask that you'd guide and direct our words, our thoughts tonight. Lord, everybody that's here tonight needs to hear from you, and I pray that you would do just that. Uh, Lord, we'd ask you to do what only you can, and that is work in the heart of everyone here tonight. Help us, we pray. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We see the first thing we notice to David. I'm going to go very quickly. It was a proper place for his possessions. Remember, David in his life had stored up. He wanted to build the house of God. God said, no, you can't. You're a man of war. Instead of pouting and taking his money and going home, he started laying up for the one who would come along, his son, who would get that opportunity. A lot of times we we talk about Solomon's temple, but Solomon's temple was really the foundation was laid by David's giving. Ever think about that? And so many times, that's why I often say, sometimes the things that you do and you give, you'll never see the result of in this lifetime. Some of you have given to missions for years and years and years, and you've never what we might say, seen a tangible result. You've never seen those converts, but you will one day. And, you know, David, David rejoiced later being able to look back and see what God did through his son by his faithful giving at it in that particular time. So very, very important to understand that. Uh, David was not laying his treasure up for Solomon, his son. He was laying it up for God, his father. But Solomon used it in that regards. And so I could, I could talk about that as well, but, but be, um, it, it's been said, do your giving while you're living so you're knowing where it's going. Um, and the last, last thing that you want to do is, is lay up for someone else to blow on sin as opposed to laying up for God to be able to use for His honor and for His glory. And so uh, that's a totally different lesson for another day. A proper place for his possessions, proper place for God's blessing. It was David who said, the uh, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. A uh, proper place to give him preeminence, a proper place to hear from him. We talk about the importance and the significance of being in the house of God. It's where God speaks. And I know sometimes people say, well, God can speak to me anywhere. Sure he can. Uh, but, he, but he said that this was his place. Uh, his home, and not this building, because I realize that the church is, you are the church, uh, the called out assembly. Um, then we see that it was a proper place to remain, and by that, being continually faithful. There will always be things that will dog at you to get you out of church. Uh, there, there are things that will distract you. And most of the time, invariably, almost without exception, they're good things. People usually don't get out of church over bad things. I mean, really, it's, it's rare that somebody says, you know, I'm never going to church again because I want to waste my, love and my, my life in debauchery and alcohol. It's, nobody typically does that. They get out of church because something else starts taking the place little by little. Um, nothing wrong with sports, um, unless you cheer for the same teams that I do. 
Um, and then it's, then it's terribly, woe is me, woe is me. By the way, I, I went to, uh, I, I, I saw my, uh, my orthopedic guy this week uh, to get some fluid drained and injection, those type of things. And the guy that I talked to, I talked to uh, his assistant, and he was from Ohio, Dave, and uh, diehard. He had Ohio State lanyard on, and uh, I, born and raised in Columbus. But he, I asked him, I said, who are your pro teams? He said, the Reds and the Bengals. And I said, really? I said, you're the only person I've met in the state of Oregon that, that cheers for the same losers that I do. Um, but, uh, you know, and, and so sometimes, you know, we, we, we look at those things, and there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with those things. I mean, really, nothing at all. But usually what happens is they start to take the place of God. A guy never decides, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go fishing, and, and I'm going to choose fishing and hunting, for instance, and say, I'm going to let those become my God. He never says that. I'm talking about somebody who's born again, loves the Lord, and gives and serves. But, but he says, what he says is, I'm going to miss a little for this. I'm going to miss a little for this. I'm going to miss a little for this. And the next thing you know, you're looking around and someone's saying, hey, whatever happened to so-and-so? It's not that he chose poor things. He chose things poorly. You understand what I'm saying? Because there's nothing wrong at all. I mean, and so uh, understand this. When David said it's a good place to stick around, to hang out, to be faithful, he was talking about the Lord's house. And, um, you know, I, I use this analogy. You know, I, I, speaking about sports, and, and I, love, I love football season. College football is, is just it's, it's fascinating. It's something to be in a – and I know some of you went to the Ducks game yesterday, right? And uh, uh, I know it was a very close one, nail-biter. Um, some of you wish you went to the Oregon State game because it was in Hawaii, but, uh, but you went to the Ducks game, and there, there's something about being in a stadium with, with your crowd wearing your colors, cheering for your team. It, it's, it's really pretty hard to explain, and if you've, if you've never done it, um, we'll have an altar call in a moment, but, but, but it really is, and I, you know, I have been, I've been in arenas where my team has been playing, and I'm thinking particularly of basketball, and I can remember chest-bumping guys that I didn't even know them from the man on the moon. I mean, you know, turn around, and you know, Kentucky wins or something, and, and a great play, and this guy's chest-bumping, and I'm thinking, dude, who are you? But hey, you got the right color and shirt on, and so we're cheering. But you know, to a greater degree, it's one of the things that you find from the house of God, because each and every week, every, every service, whether it's Sunday morning, Sunday night, or Thursday night, you're here with God's people. You're, you know, they talk about the different stadiums, the shoe, the big house, and all of this different things. But you know what this is? This is God's house. And each and every week, God says, I've got something for you. And I want you to come here to hear from me. And every one of us coming in the house of God, we don't know what's going to happen from week to week. Now, sometimes watching a ball game, you'll see it and you'll see, oh, that was a great play or that was a great uh, shot or a pass or a home run or whatever the sport might be. And you look at it, you think, wow, it's great and everybody's cheering. But a lot of times when God is working, you don't even see it. You know, I, I use the example, sometimes one of the most frustrating things as a pastor or being in ministry is when you preach and you pour out what God wants you to say and it looks like nobody moves. You say, has that ever happened? <laughs> yeah, I've talked to people to whom it's happened. Um, no, it, it does. And so sometimes you go home and you're kind of like this. Now, again, I'm being very transparent, but you kind of go home like this, you know, and, and you think, wow, did anybody get it? Or boy, that was bad. 
And don't you say that. That's me saying that. And, and, and you kind of wonder, did, did anybody respond? And I, I remember talking to a, an older pastor years ago, and, and he told me, he said, never, never underestimate what God is doing behind the scenes because you never see how God is working. Listen, probably here tonight, there's not many of you that got saved the first time you heard the gospel. Probably. I would ask a question. Is there anybody here who got saved the first time you heard the gospel? One, two, three, four. Okay. Uh, five. Okay. So five people who said they got saved the first time they heard the gospel. Now, I'm going to assume for illustration's sake that everybody else in here professes to be a child of God. You know what that means? The guy who gave you the gospel the first time or the first time you heard it, whether it was a message on radio or television or in in a crowd, and he probably thought, I didn't do a very good job. You know, I was, I was talking to someone this week, and my wife and I literally have been witnessing to him for almost three years. I've been in his home. I've had him in my home. I've met him in the office. I've met him at Sherry's. I've met him at Starbucks. I've met him probably a dozen times. And the last time I talked to him, he told me, he said, I don't want anything to do with the Lord. He said, don't bother me with it anymore. And I remember thinking, man, I blew it. And then he shows up three weeks ago, and he walks the aisle and gets saved. But I was thinking, what about all those other times? But God's doing a work, and just because you can't see God working doesn't mean God's not working. And some, by the way, I'll say this too, sometimes as parents, you think, is, is my son or my daughter ever listening to me? Yeah. How many times have I got to tell you? Just one more, but I guarantee you they probably heard it. And I look back at the opportunities when my dad was trying to get me to respond to things, and I was reluctant. But I was listening. And my heavenly father has never given up on me. And one of the things about being faithful to church is you never know from one week to the next what God is going to do, what message God has for you. It's a wonderful thing about the Holy Spirit is that he can speak to each and every one of you about your particular need, and nobody has a clue what's going on. A guy walks out this morning, he tells me, he says, Pastor, he said it was just you and me today. He told me, I said, what do you mean? He said, I mean, today, he said, it was literally like you and I were the only people in the auditorium and you were speaking directly to me. And I'm thinking, but that's the Holy Spirit. That's not me. That's the Holy Spirit talking to him about his particular need. And each and every time you come to church, God says, I have something for you. And so it's a proper place to remain and to stay faithful. Then let me, let me, let me hustle through this proper place to develop relationships. I can come regardless of my condition. And we talked about the widow with her two mites, the publican with his sin, Simeon with his hope. We talked about each of those. And then the thing we covered last week is I can, I can come knowing there is something specifically for me. Um, here we go. Directly, God speaks to you and me. Clearly, God tells us exactly what he needs us to do. Decisively, God wants us to make a move. And then fourthly, directionally, we know what to do. I believe with all my heart that when we come to church, when we walk in the doors, we typically know exactly what it is that we need. It's just usually we're reluctant to respond. My dad never had to tell me what was wrong between the two of us. And whenever, and, and based on this morning and tonight, you guys probably think, wow, you were constantly at odds. No, that's not the case. I love my dad. But I, but I knew what the problem was whenever the problem was there. If you're here tonight, you're away from God. I don't even need to name and sin. I don't need to name a thing at all. You know. That's the wonderful thing about the Holy Spirit. 
Because when, God, when you come to church, God says, I have something for you if you're willing to listen. So God speaks directly, deliberately, decisively, and directionally. And then let me say this further about church, and this is new territory. Let me jump right in here. I know I can come to worship the Lord. Sometimes I'm going to get into this later because I'm going to, I'm going to do a, at least a two-part, maybe a three-part on our worship. And I'm going to talk particularly about music soon, uh, either Sunday morning or Sunday night. But one of the things that, that we... Uh, sometimes we talk about church and we say, I don't want to come to church for there's nothing for me because there's nothing for me. Well, is, is that why you visit your mom and dad? You, yeah, I go to visit mom and dad because they have something for me. No, you go to visit your mom and dad because you express and demonstrate your love for them. When you come to God's house, you, you have to understand you're coming to worship the Lord. There's a lot of things that go into worship, music being part of it. But when you come to church, it is you coming to a place where you recognize, first of all, who he is and who you are. Remember the contrast between the publican and the Pharisee. The Pharisee walks in and he looks around and he says, obviously his eyes are open, which is a clear example of why you should keep your eyes open when you pray. Because his eyes are open. His, that's a joke. Come on. Um, so his eyes are open and he says, I thank thee. He's praying to God. At least he thinks he is. He's praying to God. He said, I thank thee that I am not as this publican. And so whether he's gesturing or acknowledging the fact that the guy is there for church, and the guy, the, the, the publican thinks, man, I don't have any business being here. But the Pharisee says, and then he begins to list all of his accomplishments. I give tithes of all that I possessed. And by the way, the tithe is important. The tithe is the Lord's, the Bible says. And by the way, you're only obedient by tithing. It's not like you've done something special. You, you do realize that. Because the Bible, the Bible doesn't say anything other than the tithe is the Lord's that is holy unto the Lord. The Bible says, where and will a man rob God? Yea, in tithes and offerings have you robbed me. And so God says the tithe is the Lord's. So this guy says, I give tithes of all that I possess. And then he says this, I fast. I fast. And he, he starts listing all of his accomplishments. And by the way, the higher he's lifting himself, the lower this guy feels. He doesn't think he belongs. Let me ask you this, and don't answer the question out loud, but in your heart, have you ever been in a, a setting, particularly a church setting, and you think, man, I'm not even sure I belong. I don't have business being here. I'm so far away from the Lord. That's the public in that. By the way, the moment you knew you were lost and on your way to hell, that's exactly how you felt. It's, it's curious because at that moment prior to salvation, you feel, I'm not worthy of anything. I'm, I, I absolutely deserve hell. And that happens at the moment of salvation you realize you are at your worst. And so now here's the publican, and the Bible says that he smote himself upon his chest, and he said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. He didn't have anything to offer. He said, all I got is me, and it's bad. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. He said, I, I am terrible. He said, I can't even lift my eyes to look towards heaven, and I realize I'm coming into God's house, and it's not because I'm coming to show, hey, God, this is what I got for you. He's coming in and saying, I got nothing. Pardon the grammar. And so he understood that. But he came, first of all, he came for salvation. But secondly, he realized where he was coming. So God's house is a place where we can come to worship the Lord. First of all, in song. And again, I'm only going to touch this very, very quickly because I want to save it uh, for uh, another uh, section. Uh, the Bible tells us, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 19, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. I want to tell you this, music is so important. And music is very important because it sets the mood. Um, many times 
we, we use it for a lot of things. You ever go to a ball game, and man, they, they don't uh, start playing lullabies when the team's coming out for an introduction, okay? It's not, go to sleep, go. They, they don't play that, at least none of the games I've ever been to. Um, now, some of you think we just played that before service, but we didn't, so snap out of it, okay? <laughs> but uh, but you, you come to church and uh, you, you go to a ball game, an arena, man, it is, they are, they've got the, the bleachers rattling, they're doing everything, getting you ready for the ball game. We come to church, literally everything points towards the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you realize he's why we're here? The whole reason this exists is because of him. That's it. There's, it, it, it. It's not because of me. It's not because of you. It's not because of our music. It's not because of the building. It's not because of... Uh, there's a lot of good things as a result of us meeting, but the only reason we're meeting is because of the Lord Jesus Christ and the finished work at Calvary. If it, if it weren't for that, we might as well pack it up and go home. That's, that's it. And so when the Bible says, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. I'll tell you this, I think one of the greatest hindrances in the Christian life is the type of music we put into our lives. Really is. And we're living in a a culture that really bombs us with music. But the Bible says very specifically, spiritual songs. Spiritual songs, songs that uplift, songs that encourage, songs that bless. Now, I'm not saying on date night you need to listen to, you know, Amazing Grace, okay? Because there's nothing wrong with Amazing Grace, but it's probably not real romantic if you're on date night with your wife, okay, or your husband. That's not what I'm talking about. But, But I will say this. I guarantee you, the average person in here, if you're not careful in your, in your uh, mobile devices and in your car, wherever it is you listen to it, you got some stuff that has a way of pulling down your spirit. And it does. And it doesn't uplift you spiritually, and it doesn't honor the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we know that church is a place of worship, and he says, come to this place, worshiping me, and uplifting yourself, encouraging yourself, speaking to yourself in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to who? To the Lord. One of the misconceptions that we have about music is, well, this makes me feel better. Do you realize that everything that was ever created was created for Him? Sometimes people say, well, I deserve this. No, actually, you deserve hell. Man, that's too blunt, but that's what I deserve. And so we, we kind of put ourselves in the place of the Lord by saying, well, I want to do those things which are pleasing to me. And God says, hey, we need to gear our life and our heart towards understanding that everything ought to be done in a way that is pleasing and honoring to the Lord. Another verse, Psalm 100, verse 4, enter into his gates with thanksgiving, into his courts with praise, be thankful unto him and bless his name. Uh, then let me say this further. I know I can worship the Lord, first of all, in song, but then... Uh, let me find the other, the other slide. Well, I know it's in here. I don't see it. So the second one, uh, forgive me for not having it up there. I apologize for that. I know I can worship the Lord, first of all, in song, and then secondly, in thanksgiving. Because the Word of God tells us that we ought to have an attitude of gratitude, an attitude of thanksgiving. That's a little... That's an attitude of gratitude. That's another, what is that, patch the pirate, I think. Is that right? Attitude of gratitude. 
Um, I'll start singing it in just a moment. But I want to come to the Lord with an attitude of thanksgiving. Thanksgiving, first of all, for my salvation. You know, we sing the song from time to time, count your many blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. But everybody has an easier, easier time counting your burdens than you do your blessings. We always do. We always have an easier time tracking and saying, well, I've got this problem. Every person here tonight, if I ask you to take out a list, take out a piece of paper and write a list, all the things that are wrong in your life, everybody come up with a few. But if I challenged us to do this, write 10 things in your life right now that God has blessed you with, go. We ought to think 10, only 10. You ought to be able to, you ought to, be able to nail that one. If you struggle, it's not because you're not blessed. It's because you don't focus on your blessings. We focus on our burdens. Those are the things that stare at us, smack in our face, and we think, yeah, but I've got this burden, this loss, this hurt, this wound, this disappointment, this frustration, this setback, and those are the things we're focusing on. And so what it does, we talked about it this morning, it robs us of our joy, but it also robs us of being thankful. You know, we, our culture has, has programmed us to live with such expectation that we're disappointed, sometimes aggravated at God because He didn't come through for us. We feel like, I should be better, I should have more, I should get this, or I sh- God should do this. Or God's not obligated to fix all of our problems. And He's not obligated to overlook and correct every mistake that we make, every poor decision. Because a lot of those are consequences of bad choices that we make. But so when I come to the Lord and I worship Him in song, I also want to worship Him by coming in. Man, I just got plenty to be thankful for. I was, I was talking to my wife earlier uh, this week. Uh, we started doing that, um, just seeing, it, seeing if you're listening. But I was talking to her earlier this week, and there's a lady that, a lady that she is discipling and uh, who's not been saved very long. And she was commenting about how refreshing it is. This, this lady who's a new Christian just wants to know everything about the Lord. I, I, just searching. What, what can you tell me? What can I learn? What can I know? What, what about this in the Bible? What about that in the Bible? Now, fast forward 20 years. To where you and I are today, and we come to church, and all we've got for God is complaint, gripe, this didn't turn out. I don't know why God did this. I don't know why God didn't do this. You say, how do you know that? Because it, uh, the guy that I was talking to yesterday was a new Christian. He's the same way. He's like a sponge. He's th- throwing the Bible at him, throwing verses at him. Wow, I never, I never saw that before. I never, Somebody's been saved 20 years. Why isn't God? Why hasn't God? Where are we at? Because when you come to his house, we want to come with an attitude that says, I can worship. I can worship in song. And then secondly, I can worship in thanksgiving. Then thirdly, and boy, I can't find them on here. My, my, I think my iPad is uh, giving me uh, some grief tonight. So I apologize for that. But the next thing is not just in, in, uh, in Thanksgiving and not just in song. But let me see if I can find the verse on here. Anyway, there we go. Deuteronomy chapter number 14. And, and uh, the Bible tells us, Thou shalt truly tithe all the increase of thy seed, that the field bringeth forth year by year. Keep it in mind, back in the Old Testament, even in the first part of our country, uh, we were an agrarian culture. And thou shalt eat before the Lord thy God in the place which he shall choose to place his name there, the tithe of thy corn, of thy wine, of thine oil, and the firstlings of thy herds and of thy flocks, that thou mayest learn to fear the Lord thy God always. Then you fast forward over into the New Testament. The Bible reads, upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store as God hath prostered him, 
prospered him that there be no gatherings when I come. The Bible tells us further, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, Every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. So I worship the Lord. I do it in song. I do it in gratitude and thanksgiving. And then thirdly, one of the things we miss sometimes, one of the highest forms of worship is your offerings. That's giving to the Lord. The first one, which is mandated by Scripture, and it's, uh, you know, Sometimes people say, well, I tithe this amount. Well, you, the tithe is the Lord. It's already designated by God. You, you can't under-tithe or over-tithe. The tithe is just 10%. It's 10% of however God blesses you and prospers you. Some people tithe. Some people don't. I don't know in here tonight who tithes, who doesn't. That's between you and the Lord. But, I, but as far as what the tithe is, it's holy. It's set apart from the Lord, and it's already mandated. God said 10% of your increase goes to the Lord. And then the Bible talks about offerings. Offerings are over and above. It's those, uh, and there were, there were offerings that were thanksgiving offerings. There were many different types of offerings in the Bible. We're not going to spend time on that necessarily tonight. But God says, when you come to my house, understand it's a place where you give thanks, you give worship and song, and you also give your tithes and your offerings unto the Lord. And then let me say this further, a place where we can come and worship the Lord in song and thanksgiving and giving and then fourthly in hearing. Now, notice this, Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 1. Keep thy foot when thou goest to the house of God. Be more ready to hear than to give the sacrifice of fools, for they consider not that they do evil. This is Solomon talking about the house of God very specifically. And one of the things he addresses here is how we ought to conduct ourselves in church. Um, I, I would liken it to this. Um, and you know, if I got an invitation to the White House, and I've been to the White House before, not by invitation. I've been there with a, you know, big tour group going through back in the days when it was a little easier to get in. Now it's a little tougher. But if I got an invitation to the, to the White House, I, I, would, I would think that was a pretty big deal, right? I mean, I'd like to go. It wouldn't matter to me who was president. I, I'd just, the opportunity to go to the White House, what it represents, the significance of it. And I'm not trying to get into the politics there. I just think it'd be a cool thing to get to go to the White House. It's kind of a, a nice place, right? Okay. But can you imagine if you were in the White House, there'd be certain decorum. If you're in there with your kids and they start running around the place, you'd probably be a little bit more embarrassed because that's the house of the sitting president, politics aside. And you would go in there and you wouldn't go in there and start calling the shots. You would say, this is what you need to do. You, you would, you would, there is a protocol and a decorum to set. Uh, last uh, March, I was in D.C. and I was with some pastors and we were there for uh, Awake America. And so, there was about 15 of us that had a, a, an appointment schedule with Mike Pence, the vice president. And uh, so that's kind of cool, right? Except he canceled. Uh, I don't know who he thinks he is, you know. But anyway, uh, so the vice president's busy or something. I don't know, saving the world. Uh, yeah, whatever. Uh, but anyway, so um, we had the appointment. But you had to go through security. You had to do a background check. They wanted to know what your favorite color was. No, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm literally, I feel they didn't ask that. But I had to fill out this questionnaire, and I had to put down where I'd lived and, you know, had I ever been convicted of anything in this life or anything, you know, just, just all kinds of crazy stuff. And you fill in all this out. And then you don't even know if you get access into that part of the building. And they will email you and let you know if you pass the screen. If you pass the screen, then you show up, and then you've got to go through one level of security. Then you've got to go through another level of security, and then you have to go through one more. I'm thinking, dude, I just want to see you know, the vice president. But I did all of those things, and then he canceled. 
Bummer. But you know what? I thought, this is awesome. Now, we don't screen you when you come to church. We don't, you know, have wands batting you down. We don't make you fill out a questionnaire. We don't ask if you've ever been convicted of anything in your life. We hope you've been convicted by the Holy Spirit, but that's a different thing altogether. But you come into God's house, and God says, if you're coming, I'll take you. But you understand that in God's house, God says, let me talk. That's why this verse is so important in how we handle ourselves in church. It says, be thou more ready to hear than to give the sacrifice of fools. You know, sometimes we can't hear what God is saying to us because we're doing all the talking. You know, when you come to hear from God, let God do the talking. Don't tell God how it should be. Don't tell God everything that you want God to do and fix. Can you imagine if you just, I've said this before, can you imagine at Christmas, if your child, you ask your child, what would you like for Christmas? And they said something to you like this, oh, I trust you. Dad, I trust you. Whatever you think I need is good. I'm, I'm, I'm okay with that. Well, number one, they just put the pressure on you big time because you're thinking now, man, what did I do to get, get a child that, that's, that is that sensitive? Yeah, I, I don't even want to pick anything because I'm so blessed. Can you imagine your child saying this? I, just being in your family, having your name is more than I, I, I really can't think of a thing that I could possibly want. At that point, first of all, you know something's up. But can you imagine if they came with that approach and that attitude and said, whatever you decide, I'm okay with that. Now, can you imagine if you came to church? And, and I understand how we are because I've been the same way. Sometimes we come to church and it's like this, I need something today. And I understand that. But can you imagine if you just came and your whole attitude and approach to God was, I just want to be where you're at, God. Just tell me what I need. Not what I want to hear, but just let me have it. Whatever it needs that, that needs adjusted or corrected in my life, even if it goes against my, everything that I've been thought, everything that is ingrained into my heart, everything that I want to do, God, it doesn't matter. You go ahead and do it. And I want you to have that freedom and liberty to speak to me because I want to come into your house more ready to hear. And notice what it says, than to give the sacrifice of fools, for they consider not that they do evil. See, most of the time when we step in the place of God, we think, well, God, this is exactly what I need, and this is, I need you to order this. I need you to direct this. You've got to work things out so that this happens. And God says, you're setting yourself up for failure. I don't want to get in the place of God. I don't want to rush God. I don't want to tell God, this is how he needs to do things. This is how it needs to work out. I want to say, I want to take my hands off of it completely and say, Lord, man, I can't figure it out. I, I, I don't know. I'm just going to have to trust you on that. And that's exactly how God wants us to come when we approach his house. You know, you, when you sit in a football stadium or a basketball arena, you don't have any control on the outcome of the game. You can yell. You can cheer. You can blame the refs or the umpires. Really, all you can do is sit there and eat a hot dog and be grateful that you were there to witness the win or, you know, be bummed that you spent all that money and lost. You know, but that's all you can do. But we come to church sometimes and we say, Lord, uh, this is exactly what I need you to do. And I think so many times we have to come and, and recognize our approach and say, Lord, I don't want to come with the sacrifice of fools. I want to come with a heart that's ready to hear. 
And so when we come to the Lord's house and we understand that I'm winning at what matters most, I know that I can come with a heart that's ready to worship Him in song, in thanksgiving, in giving, and finally then in hearing. Can you imagine, I'm going to close with this thought. I said this a couple weeks ago, I believe it was. But can you imagine what it would be like in your heart and life if you responded yes to everything that God asked you to do? Can you imagine? What if tomorrow on your way to work or wherever you're going or you're doing business and you pick up some tracks on your way out today and the Lord impresses on your heart to hand it to somebody, instead of saying, no, he's probably not interested or I don't want to do that right now or maybe the next time, what if every single time the Holy Spirit spoke to you, you obeyed him? Can you imagine that? I won't ask the question, but if I were to ask tonight, how many of you have obeyed everything the Holy Spirit told you to do in the last seven days? I don't think anybody put their hand up. And if you would, just keep it down, make the rest of us stay humble. But I don't think anybody would. But probably all of us could point to some things where the Holy Spirit said, hey, pick up the Bible, and in our mind we said, I'll do it later. Talk to this person about, I'll do it later. Pray about this, I'll do it later. Whatever it is that God is directing you to do, Obey every impulse of the Holy Spirit is one way it's been said many times. And so when we come into his house, come with an attitude that says, I want to worship him. Thanksgiving, in song, in my giving, and I want to always say, okay, Lord, speak, Lord, thy servant heareth. I'm not going to tell you how to deal in my life. I'm not going to tell you what to fix, what to repair, what to order. I just want you to know I'm listening. I'm listening. Speak for thy servant here. Shall we stand? Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed.